Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I am here to help you feel great in your body and rock your hormones with so much ease and grace so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. I have been a big fan of intermittent fasting ever since I dug into the research three years ago. And I have personally had great success with intermittent fasting, especially for improving energy, insulin sensitivity, blood sugar levels, and brain function. In a nutshell, intermittent fasting has been a win-win for me and one of the biggest needle movers for improving my energy, which scores a big plus in my book. And today, I wanna share some of the benefits, specifically the ones that I just mentioned a moment ago, along with how to maximize intermittent fasting for your menstrual cycle and in perimenopause and beyond. Now, as I share a lot on this podcast, our precious chemical messengers, aka our hormones, are very sensitive to what we eat, how we eat, and when we eat. So it's no surprise that there are times in our menstrual cycle when intermittent fasting can really throw our hormones off a bit. It's important that we always take our menstrual cycle into account when we reduce our eating window to 8 to 11 hours or less. Now before I dive into how intermittent fasting can work according to our cycle and throughout all the stages in our life, I want to lay out what has been working for me and how I've been able to cycle through different energy sources in my body using intermittent fasting, which has helped to stabilize my blood sugar levels and allowed me to experience more sustainable energy even during a time when my sleep is still significantly off due to having a six-month-old. Now, in a typical week, I fast 13 to 15 hours a day, and ideally, I don't eat three hours before going to bed, or at least two hours before going to bed. This means that I usually eat dinner around 7 p.m., and I aim to be in bed by 9.30 p.m. and asleep around 10 p.m. That gives me three hours between my last meal and when I'm going to bed. Now, the reason for this is this allows my brain to get a really deep cleaning via the glymphatic system. When we have a big enough break between eating and when we go to sleep, our brain can actually devote more energy to cleaning up any debris, proteins, plaques, toxins, waste that was accumulated throughout the day. And best believe with your brain working so hard, there's always gonna be byproducts and waste. Now, in the morning, I get up around 7 a.m. and I have a really big glass of water. Sometimes it's with lemon and apple cider vinegar. Sometimes it's with mint and basil. It just really depends on what I've got in the fridge. But at the very least, I'm drinking 20 ounces or more of water around the time of waking up. And then around 7.30, I head outside and walk my hills right outside of my house to help reset my circadian rhythms and boost my mitochondria. Now, when it comes to circadian rhythms, melatonin is what helps to put us asleep at night once it gets dark, and cortisol, it gets activated in the light. It's our cortisol awakening response. Now, since my sleep isn't the best, I really want to maximize that cortisol awakening response, and so getting outside within 30 minutes of waking up is a major critical piece to ensuring that my mitochondria are boosting and creating more energy for me. Then once I come back from that little walk, I make an Americano with cinnamon, which I have found when I was wearing my continuous glucose monitor for over a month that my blood sugar levels did not change, which was amazing because I was concerned because I know caffeine can raise cortisol, cortisol can co-elevate insulin, and that can throw off blood sugar levels. 
but every day that I measured, I had my coffee, my Americana with cinnamon, and my blood sugar level was 75 milligrams per deciliters, which is in the optimal range. Ideally, your optimal range, if you were to measure your continuous blood glucose every day, is 70 milligrams per deciliter to 110 milligrams per deciliter. And that means you stay within that range all day with or without meals. So ideally, I'll be speaking into this in a new episode where I go into all of the ins and outs. When you spike your blood sugar levels from a meal, ideally you wanna stay within that 110 milligrams per deciliter as well. What I loved was that when I drank my coffee, it didn't move my blood sugar levels at all. So that meant I was still in the fasting state because I'm still fasting at this point and my caffeine isn't having any impact on my blood sugar levels. So I just wanted to speak into that. That isn't always the case for everybody. That just happened to be the case for me. So after walking my hill and drinking my Americano, I go into the gym and I work out for 30 minutes. And what I have learned, at least for me and my body, especially with Hajimoto's, an autoimmune condition and having chronic fatigue issues in the past and being in perimenopause at 41, that any workout after 30 to 40 minutes, I start to feel more worn down than energized. So I always wanna make sure that I stick to a really great strength training workout or a high intensity workout with 30 minutes, 40 minutes max. So just a heads up, you may find yourself working out to an hour and then feeling depleted. You may wanna scale it back a little bit. So I do that workout and I always aim to work out in the morning to take advantage of my naturally elevated cortisol levels. Cortisol again is elevated in the morning. And I also wanna take advantage of my fasting state because I'm still in my fast. So I am now in major fat burning mode. So I try to work out as close to the end of my fasting window so that I can really use up a lot of my muscle glycogen stores so that my body becomes more metabolically flexible. Especially as we get older, moving into our 40s and 50s, this becomes super critical. We want to stay in fat burning mode. We want to be building those muscles. We want to make sure that we're taxing out those glycogen stores because it's going to help us have just a lot more metabolic flexibility. That is super critical for me because I know I ain't getting any younger. So I'm being really mindful there. Then I eat around 9 or 10 a.m., putting me at a 14 to 15 hour fast before I end, right? So I'm usually averaging 14 to 15 hours before I break that fast. And when I break the fast, I'm eating protein, healthy fats, and carbs in the form of veggies. My focus here is protein since I just worked out and I want to aim for 25 to 30 grams of protein in this meal. So some days what this looks like is a green smoothie with two big scoops of protein powder or a scoop and a half puts me around 30 plus grams of protein. And then I add some avocado and some green leafy vegetables and just make it super, super yummy, super, super digestible. Other days I use leftovers from the night before, like if we have leftover salmon or leftover lamb or leftover chicken and make up a salad, but I do not eat breakfast foods or eggs. Those are basically off the table for me due to having a food allergy to eggs. So I just wanna just speak into that. And then right before my meal or right during my meal, I take my morning supplements so that I'm getting all of that good supplement nutrition as well. And I'm not gonna even go through the list of supplements I take, but it's a solid number of supplements every single day. 
And my goal for the day is to focus on protein, healthy fats, and lots and lots of vegetables. And I drink lots of water during the day, like sparkling water, regular water. I have a sparkling water and a regular water right next to me right now. And then later in the evening, instead of having a snack late at night, after dinner, usually around 8.30 or so, I have a cup of decaffeinated tea, like a rooibos tea or a mint tea, something that doesn't have caffeine in it that can just calm me, soothe my digestive system, and really settle me into bed. So that in a nutshell is what I do every single day. And it's been, I'm gonna tell you, it's been such a game changer for me. Um, I had a goal and it felt like a very audacious goal, but I knew that I was working a lot on my metabolic fitness, but I wanted to get back to my pre-pregnancy weight within the first six months of Kingston's life. And I actually hit that number when he was five and a half months old. And that attributes, and it wasn't like I was starving myself, I wasn't over-exercising, but I was just dialing in my metabolism and really allowing for my insulin to be highly sensitive, my blood sugar levels to be stable, and to really just feed my body what it needs and leave out I just you know no processed foods no foods that drive inflammation and then again having a smaller eating window although it's filled with a lot of healthy choices and a lot of nourishing foods it just allowed for my body to replenish and restore so that my cells could clean up some of that mess I'll get into that in just a minute with cell autophagy and my mitochondria could just work better so I didn't feel like I did anything super crazy I have definitely worked out harder and have had strict diets in the past, but I know that when we can get our metabolism more flexible, we're able to lose, we're able to let go of the weight that we don't necessarily need to hold on to anymore. Now, if you do love the idea of drinking a smoothie or a shake in the morning because it seems really easy, for me, it's so easy. I included my amazing shake and hormone guide, my hormone-loving shake and smoothie guide. Now, this particular guide with all my recipes include my favorite chocolate almond butter shake and my hormone love smoothie. Now I recently compiled all of my top recipes in a super simple guide along with how to maximize your smoothie for more digestive support and boosted energy. After 12 years of making smoothies, literally it's been that long, I only share the best tasting ones in these recipes and they are so, so delicious. They're gonna literally taste like a real shake. So I'm gonna have the link to my smoothie and shake guide in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 278. Now, I have found that maintaining this habit most days of the week sets me up for great success, but I don't intermittent fast every single day of the week. I listen to my body, and if I'm feeling really, really hungry in the morning or extra tired, I will break my fast earlier in the morning. So I'm always listening to my body just in case to make sure whether I need to keep on fasting or not. And the one thing that I do not do, again, as I mentioned earlier, is eat after dinner. I really wanna give my body the opportunity to fully repair at night, and that can be very difficult to do if my gut, my liver, and my cells are still breaking down and assimilating food that I ate late into the night. I cannot emphasize how critical it is to give yourself a break after dinner before going to bed. It will save, I mean, literally, if that's the one thing you take away from this conversation today is not having late night snacking, then yes. So now that I shared how I have integrated intermittent fasting into my daily routine, you literally got my 24-hour routine. (laughs) If you want to go back and listen to it, you can. But the benefits for me have been amazing. As I mentioned earlier, I have more sustainable energy, I feel more focused and alert, and I'm not sluggish at all, and my labs look great. 
Oprah always says, know your numbers. And I love looking at my labs. My HDLs, my LDLs are in optimal range. My triglycerides are 55 milligrams per deciliter. My blood sugar levels are between 75 milligrams per deciliter and 84 milligrams per deciliter pretty much every day throughout the week. And when I eat on average, my blood sugar spikes to around 95 milligrams per deciliter, which is phenomenal, meaning I'm not eating anything that's driving up my blood sugar and I'm keeping it really tight. And basically anything under 110 milligrams per deciliter after your eat is great. That means your body is not experiencing major blood sugar swings and your metabolism is pretty stable which has not always been the case for me. I definitely had massive blood sugar swings back in the day. Um, And I can feel them with the cravings and the mood swings and the brain fog and the energy crashes. I mean, you know what that feels like when your blood sugar levels are just up and down and up and down like a roller coaster. And what was really important, kind of what was the impetus or the why for me, because sometimes you need a why, because people are gonna tempt you, circumstances are gonna tempt you. Let's be honest, food is everywhere. And what really was the the kind of the, the linchpin for me was finding out that I had a big genetic precursor for type 2 diabetes. It runs in my family and sure enough, it's in my genes too. So I wanted to figure out a way to really stabilize my sugar levels and intermittent fasting along with removing a lot of inflammatory foods have been the ticket for me, especially because I do not over-exercise anymore. I can't afford to do so. It totally wrecks me. So food had to be the thing that I needed to transform. And honestly, I have been amazed at my results so far and will continue to find the sweet spot for me in the years to come, especially as I continue to navigate perimenopause into menopause. Because my body's going to shift, it's going to pivot, and I'm going to need to pivot with it. So now let's talk about intermittent fasting and your menstrual cycle. As I've shared on this show, there are four phases to your menstrual cycle. Phase one is the first day of your period in the follicular phase of your cycle. The second phase starts around day seven as estrogen and testosterone really start to rise up. Phase three of the four phases is ovulation, usually around day 12 to 16. And then we go into the luteal phase of your cycle, which can be broken up into two phases as well. Week one is when progesterone is climbing to the peak around day 19, day 20. And then the second part, that second week of the luteal cycle is the week leading up to your period when we find that progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone begin to drop and decline. Now, fasting is the easiest in phase two, in that follicular phase around day seven to day 14, 15. But for some women, they feel great and ready to start fasting again around day four or five after their period started, not waiting until day seven. So figuring out that sweet spot for you, maybe you're like on day four of your period or day five of your period, your period's over, you're ready to rock and roll, you feel amazing. For some of us, it may be day six, day seven, day eight. It's really just figuring out what your body says to you. And you can continue to fast all the way, so starting on day four, five, six, or seven, whatever that looks like for you, and you can continue to fast all the way through ovulation into the first week of the luteal phase, or the luteal cycle, as progesterone is on the rise. It is recommended to stop intermittent fasting around day 19, 20, let's say 20, day 20, as progesterone is peaking and then slowly dropping. Although we are more insulin resistant, the closer we get to our period, that is that day one. So I would say day 21 to day 28, we become more insulin resistant. 
However, we also need to be preserving our energy, our mood, and our hormones. So we got to really listen to our body and then give it what it needs. So I recommend backing off the intermittent fasting and adding in some carbs because let's be honest, you know, we get closer to our period and we feel that need for carbs. We feel that need to bring in more comfort foods. And when I talk about carbs, I'm talking about some really healthy carbs. I'm not talking about potato chips or French toast or ice cream, Ben and Jerry's, whatever that is for you, cookies. I'm talking about sweet potatoes, squashes, berries, gluten-free grains, lots of veggies. These are gonna be the things that really nourish your body, nourish your hormones, and keep your hormones and blood sugar happy along for the ride as well. So if we become more insulin resistant the last seven days, yet we're also craving carbs, we just wanna give our body the right kind of carbs. Now this changes. So that's basically what happens with your menstrual cycle, right? Intermittent fast all the way from day five, six, seven to day 20, and then back off from day 21 to day four of your cycle, right? Basically that week where you're having PMS in those first couple of days of your menstrual cycle, that's when you wanna back off, but just really be mindful about what you put into your body. Now this changes again, When we have a major hormone surge shift, and that is in perimenopause, and your cycle is getting shorter. Now, I still recommend that you omit intermittent fasting during the last week of your cycle, but some women do even better taking all of the luteal cycle off or skipping two to three days per week every week, skipping that intermittent fasting. You gotta just listen to your body and know. And the reason for this is perimenopause is a roller coaster ride. It's important to really listen to that body. Remember, we are losing progesterone, which is a stress-sensitive, stress-protective hormone, and we're losing estrogen, which is an insulin-protective hormone. So we just have to be able to listen to our body. It's really easy in this phase where we're already in a roller coaster to overdo it and overstress the system. So again, potentially, definitely taking that last week off of your luteal cycle, potentially the full luteal cycle, or even just kind of rolling back a couple days a week of intermittent fasting during perimenopause. Now, once you've gotten through the perimenopause roller coaster and you're now in menopause, right? You're 52, 53 years old. You can plan to intermittent fast five days a week, maybe even six days a week. But I do recommend taking a break one to two times a week, depending on energy levels and for the sake of keeping all of your hormones like cortisol, DHEA, and thyroid hormones happy. It's really critical that you continue to monitor your body and even consider running labs every six months to a year to see what's going on with your metabolic panel. See what's going on with your triglycerides, your cholesterol, your insulin levels, glucose levels, hemoglobin A1C, hormones potentially too, if you want to look at DHEA and thyroid hormones. All of these things are gonna take into consideration how much intermittent fasting you do and to what degree that you do it, if you decide that this is the route for you. Now, overall, just in a general sweep are my intermittent fasting recommendations for women who are pretty healthy and are not dealing with other underlying conditions. I always recommend that you consult your doctor or an expert that you trust when embarking on a new diet plan, especially when it comes to decreasing your feeding window to eight or 11 hours a day, depending on what you decide to do there. We are all unique and we all have very different needs. Now, since the moment intermittent fasting hit the scene, researchers have been touting the benefits, and I have been especially interested in the benefits that are related to the brain and energy. 
So what I want to do before closing out is I want to quickly share the benefits with you that are specific to better focused energy and overall brain function. And then you can decide based on this information if you ever want to try it out or not. Now, the first thing I love about intermittent fasting, especially once you hit that 17 plus hours or more, so that means that you are fasting for 17 hours, so your eating window is much smaller, right? It's like it's seven hours instead of eight or 10 or 11 hours, so you're eating for only seven hours a day. And what happens if you do a 17-hour fast or more, you move into what we call cellular autophagy, or as I like to call it, a big spring cleaning for your cells. Intermittent fasting turns on an important process called autophagy in which your brain takes out the trash that builds up during the day, right? This self-cleaning process, all your cells do this, but especially your brain. This self-cleaning process helps detoxify the brain, clear out old and damaged cells, and sweep away debris and toxins. Now, when it comes to a 17-hour or more fast, 17-hour, 18-hour, 20-hour, 24-hour fast, even if you do it only once a month, it has remarkable benefits. You can significantly improve longevity markers and decrease inflammatory markers and cytokine markers. That is huge. Next, intermittent fasting improves working memory. So restricting the hours when you eat to only an 8-hour window or a 10-hour window has been shown to significantly improve memory. According to the study of the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietitians, this study, after four weeks of intermittent fasting, performance on spatial planning and working memory tasks and on working memory capacity tests increased significantly and it improved mood, which is amazing. But let's talk about mood. Another research article from the Journal of Nutritional Health and Aging found that after three months of intermittent fasting, study participants reported improved mood and decreased tension, anger, and confusion. Another study in 2018 that investigated weight loss strategies found that intermittent fasting was associated with a significant improvement in emotional well-being and decreased depression. That's a big, big finding for just supporting mood overall. Now let's talk about inflammation. This is what I love. This is my favorite thing, is we know that intermittent fasting can decrease inflammation. Chronic inflammation, as you know, has been linked to many brain disorders such as depression, anxiety, Alzheimer's disease, dementia, and more. According to a study in nutritional research, intermittent fasting decreased inflammation, decreased inflammatory markers, and showed a decrease in cytokines which can potentially have benefits to your brain health and mental well-being. And let's not even talk about all the benefits for your metabolism and your mood, reversing chronic conditions. I mean, the benefits are endless here. And then last, which I love, 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 last two, stabilizing blood sugar, which is huge for women overall. So the research in the British Journal of Nutrition showed that intermittent fasting produces greater improvements in insulin sensitivity, which helps you prevent high blood sugar levels and type 2 diabetes. In the Journal of Neurology, they found that high blood sugar is associated with the smaller hippocampus, the seahorse-shaped structure in the temporal lobes associated with mood, learning, and memory. This is super, super critical. We know that we can help support our brain function by simply using intermittent fasting and stabilizing blood sugar levels. And then last but not least, which is what a lot of people love intermittent fasting, is intermittent fasting helps to burn more fat, which is great for brain health. 
Excess fat on your body is not your friend, as we all know, and a growing body of research, including studies in the Archives of General Psychiatry, have found that obesity is detrimental to brain health and is associated with a greater risk of depression, bipolar disorder, and panic disorder. So just a heads up, like we know that if we can burn fat, we can help heal the brain, but we can also help heal the metabolism as well. Now, I don't know about you, but these are all big wins for me, especially when I think about optimizing cellular longevity. If you are considering intermittent fasting, especially after this episode, I just recommend taking it slow, starting with a 12-hour fast and slowly working your way up to a 13 to 15-hour fast two to four days a week. Remember, a 12-hour fast is you eat dinner at 7 and then you break your fast at 7 a.m. A 13-hour fast is you eat dinner at 7, you break your fast at 8 a.m. Again, we're already kind of getting close to this, but the more you can stretch, especially that 13 to 15 hour window, you go into fat burning mode. So based on how your body does, continue to make those modifications. Again, start 12 hours, move up to 13 to 15 hours, two to three days a week, and then keep on increasing depending on how you're feeling about it. And please note that it is equally important to focus on foods that you're eating that will heal your body because both matter. So even if you're intermittent fasting, please don't use that eating window to eat a bunch of processed junk, right? That's not gonna do you any favors either. Now, if you decide to try it, definitely let me know how it goes. And if there is someone in your life who is thinking about intermittent fasting, please feel free to pass this episode along. This is episode 278. That way they can look into how it affects their menstrual cycle, the benefits, and even listen a little bit into my own personal journey. Now, if you want to dive deeper into eating and working out according to your cycle, check out episode 244 with Dr. Stephanie Estima. And if you want to learn more about fasting and perimenopause and beyond, check out my episode with Dr. Mindy Pels, which was recent, which was 273. Well, thank you so much for listening into the Essentially You podcast. I can hear my six-month-old Kingston just giggling and cackling in the next room. So I'm going to wrap this up. Feel free if you're loving these episodes to rate and review this podcast so that we can get more women plugged in to understanding that hormone literacy and what it takes to really create more vitality, energy, and joy. Coming up on Tuesday, I am so excited to introduce you to Dr. Lakeisha. We're going to be talking about the secret to gliding, not slamming into perimenopause and beyond. Until then, have an amazing weekend and an amazing summertime.